Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great website that gives you history the way it was intended to be told? With no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. Well, I've got it for you. It's LearnTrueHistory.com. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. Learn history from great professors who don't sugarcoat it for you. This is not for your delicate flowers. That's LearnTrueHistory.com. LearnTrueHistory.com. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 23. Uh, it's hard to believe we've already got 22 episodes in the books. We're on 23, but glad to have you back. Uh, glad to uh, have you listen to the program. Please, if you enjoy the program, share it with your friends. Uh, don't just listen to it in the privacy of your own car or your own home. It's better to be shared. So share it around. Let people know you like the program. What I want to talk about today is something that I think is uh, very important for any political movement, uh, but particularly on our side, which is in some ways a difficult political movement. Because generally what people on our side are talking about is something that's abstract and not easy, and that's liberty. Liberty, in contrast to what many people have said, it's really not a natural condition. I mean, uh, philosophers have spilled a lot of ink on this particular topic. And, um, you know, is man naturally free? Or is man not naturally free? I mean, how do you define liberty in a state of civilization? And what you generally find with human history and human nature is that uh, liberty is a difficult thing to obtain and to hold even at the individual level internally because it's not easy to be free. It takes a lot of work. You have to be continually thinking about liberty. And so man is naturally inclined to want to be taken care of. And this is why you have such a battle in the American polity because you have a large percentage of the population who really doesn't care about liberty. They're more interested in being taken care of by someone else, and they're fine with that. Um, So you do have a class of people, regardless of what their background is, where they're from, who don't necessarily want to be free. And then you have a group of people who actively pursue this in many different ways, and it's a challenge If you're an independent person, meaning that you've taken care of uh, your basic needs, you you can meet those without really any threat to your survival, that's a hard thing to do. Uh, Whether it's financial liberty, you have no debt, uh, you are self-sufficient in that particular way, that's a hard thing to do. Most people in America are not that way. And so when you start talking about this abstract term of liberty, people very quickly realize over, you know, as as they start to think about it, well, I'm not really that free. I am dependent on something, 
in American society. And it's not just in America, it's also all over the world. So liberty is a tough sell. And I think what we have to realize in that particular process is what can be done to try to sell liberty, to try to actively actively pursue liberty, and how can you achieve it in American society? And so there are a few things I'd like to focus on in that particular thought process. The first is self-government. And we use this term quite a lot. Well, we believe in self-government. Again, Americans aren't necessarily interested in self-government, even at the local and state level. The majority are not. And you can see that by the fact that almost every state in the United States is tied into federal dollars. Now, some of this is not voluntary, but in some cases it is. States want that money because it helps them balance their budgets and uh, it gives them goodies to throw at the state population. They want that money just as much as the federal government wants to take that money and give it back to the states because it gives them control. So one thing that has to be done, no matter where we're talking about, whether it's in the Northeast, the West, the South, the Midwest, the Mountain West, is that the states have to break that federal cash drip. And that's a difficult thing to do because it's going to involve a certain amount of pain. And when I, what I mean by that is that if people want these goods and services, and uh, I think you know, if you were to go and, and poll people about that, probably the majority of the people in the state want certain goods and services from the government. Now, again, you have to sell the idea that you're better off without that. But I think for most people, they're going to say, no, no, no. I want some level of goods and services from my state because I, I think that these things are necessary from a government perspective. So in order to do that, you're going to need to ensure that you can still raise a certain amount of revenue at the state level. And that involves higher taxes. Now, this goes all the way back to the, to the Constitution because there was a great fear in both Philadelphia and in the ratifying conventions that the general government would eventually swallow up the state governments in terms of taxes. Now, that was argued it would never happen, that the states would still be able to tax their citizens and provide what the citizens needed in their internal affairs. But what we have seen over time is that you do pay a higher tax rate for your federal taxes than you do for your state taxes. And people have come to expect that the federal government provides these goods and services, not the state government. So that needs to be reversed. In fact, I mean, if we're we're looking at things in a real federalist perspective, the state should tax more than the federal government. I mean, that should happen. Because the states, if you're going to have goods and services that are provided by the government, the state should be providing these things. Now, the left will often say, well, what's going to happen then if you reverse this is there's going to be a race to the bottom. The states are going to be actively trying to cut taxes, so that uh, they can lure businesses and industries into their states. And uh, it's going to be just like the South where you've got, I mean, labor unions talk about this all the time, where you have no unions in the South. It's a right-to-work area. And so there's going to be a race to the bottom in wages and services and other things. Well, from a liberty standpoint, that's not a bad thing. Uh, If you are creating 
tax-free zones so that businesses will come and set up shop. I mean, look at Delaware, for example. It's the easiest state in the country to incorporate. So you have a lot of corporations in Delaware because they make it easy to do so. Uh, Places where you don't have an income tax are attractive places for businesses, whether it's Texas or Florida, uh, because those particular areas are tax havens, tax shelters, so to speak. So people go there. You just saw an example of an individual in New Jersey, very wealthy individual who left the state because um, he could do better financially outside of the state. So when he left, the state of New Jersey lost millions of dollars in tax revenue. He just said, enough, I'm not paying higher taxes here. So the states are going to be competing with each other over this particular situation. Now, again, of course, the left is going to say, well, that's going to destroy the poor. Uh, because we need these federal taxes to help the poor, whether it's uh, through a government program like Medicaid or uh, Social Security or uh, social welfare programs. The federal government is necessary for these things because the states won't provide them. That's not necessarily true either. Uh, If you look at Obamacare, the architect of that was Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, and you can have socialized medicine in Massachusetts if you want it. The question is, are people in other states going to pay for Massachusetts? Well, in that particular case, the answer is no. They weren't going to. And so I think this is where you have a situation where you can really talk about federalism and what you have to do. If you want to have these goods and services, you are going to have to pay more for them in your state. Now, I think what you're going to generally see happen is that people are going to reject this and that they won't have these goods and services then. And you're going to have maybe a more uh, climate that's more conducive for employment and business. Uh, so you, you have to sell independence. Independence is not something that people, I mean, they, they, they talk about wanting it. I want to be able to say what I want and do what I want. But on the flip side of that, there comes a certain amount of responsibility to that. And so this is something you actively have to be pursuing. And you have to train people to do it. It's not a natural condition. Uh, People are naturally inclined to want somebody to take care of them. There are certain people that aren't, but I think the majority of the population are. Um, So this is something that you have to actively get people to pursue. Now, one of the things that's become popular, you have something called the Free State Project. And so this is the idea that people will move to New Hampshire and set up their own little political communities, and they'll live around like-minded people. And this is a very good idea for a lot of reasons. Number one, if you can control a state government or a local government, you can control in many ways how you live your life. Now, it is difficult in the modern national state that we have. We have the United States not the United States. We have a national unitary state that's been created, not by legal means, but by unconstitutional means, but yet it still happened. We have a top-down policy now for just about everything. This is why Americans get so aggravated about presidential politics. In reality, it shouldn't matter who the president is because uh, the president's powers are so circumscribed by the Constitution and the Congress's powers are so circumscribed by the Constitution, you should pay more attention to who's going to be the governor of your state and the mayor of your town 
than you should who's going to be president. But we've created this unitary state where the president is everything. So uh, we've created, what we want to do in these projects, like the Free State Projects, create these enclaves where you have like-minded people and you can sort of live the life the way you want. Create, again, tax havens, tax shelters, uh, goods and services, a, a, a commitment to goods and services that you want or a lack thereof or whatever the case may be. This is not new. You've seen this happen several times in American history. It's sort of utopian, um, but in a different way. You know, if you look back at utopian communities and the history of those communities in the United States, things like Brook Farm in Massachusetts or Oneida in New York, uh, these are cult scenarios, communist scenarios oftentimes. And it, the, the problem with, say, Brook Farm, for example, is that was a communist utopia, and of course that's not going to work. Communism never works. But uh, people will try to have these little social experiments, and they often fall apart. The difference between that and something like the Free State Project is that what the people there are trying to do is live a normal life, but yet have control over their local government and their state government, and trying to get a government that's most responsive to their worldview. That is real self-government. It is in some ways, self-secession. You're going to a new place. Maybe you want to have an education system in your state that more reflects your views. Now, the problem with that is that in the American unitary state, you are going to have the Department of Education that's going to try to control what you do. But if you can break the dependency on the cash, it won't matter. That is the kicker in everything. you got to break the dependency on the federal cash. So this is not new again. Uh, there was actually a very several times in American history um, you've had people who are trying to move around to different places to gain individual liberty and self-government, to get away from oppressive government. It's, it's very American. Uh, there was actually a movement a lot of people don't know about called the Exodus Movement that took place in the late 1800s uh, black Americans from the South who were not happy with how they were being treated there actually moved to Kansas. Uh, there was a man named Pap Singleton who, uh, who was part of this, and so there was a push to get people into Kansas, out of the South and into Kansas, so they could try to control their own affairs. Now, the interesting thing about this is that there were educated black Americans in the North who were against this movement because they thought that these Black Southerners were uneducated. They didn't know what they were doing. They should stay in the South where they could be taken care of by the federal government. (laughs) So don't seek independence. Don't seek liberty, real individual liberty. Stay in the South where us, the elites, can take care of you. So again, even in this particular situation, you had people trying to push a dependency scenario for people. Because it keeps them in power. But then you had a number of people who were saying, enough, we don't like the way we're being treated in the South for a variety of reasons. Um, and they wanted to get out, of Can- get out of the South and go to Kansas. And this brings up an interesting position. You can leave a state. I can leave the state that I live in if I don't like it. But I cannot leave 
the United States unless I want to be an expatriate. And of course, then there's a tax on that. And then you have to deal with living internationally and all kinds of things. It's difficult to do. More and more people are doing it. They're getting out of the U.S. But if you could create a real federalist scenario where you had states and their proper role in the general government, and I've already talked about in this podcast uh, the different representative ratios in the states and how you are better represented in your states, they're not perfect. There's no way they're perfect. There's no perfect government. That's, again, a utopian fallacy because you have people involved. But if you have a better representative ratio in many states, the ratio is 10,000 to 1. You have better control over, or at least potential to control your government and elect good people than you do in a government where the representative ratio is 735,000 to 1. So this is why people talk about creating a federalism environment in the United States. I can leave my state, but I cannot leave the general government. Easily leave the general government. And the reason I'm talking about this particular podcast today is just kind of back up a little bit. I saw a, a news article that Glenn Jacobs, better known as Kane, he's a libertarian, is running for mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. That's fantastic. And I got to thinking about how people that listen to this podcast or they they uh, they're interested in the liberty movement or they're inter- they're conservatives or whatever the case may be. They're essentially they're they're not or they're they're real traditional conservatives, meaning they're not for the American unitary state. What they can do to better their lives. I mean, we we ask this question all the time. What can I do? Oftentimes, you're told, "Vote better, son." If you vote better, son, things are going to get better. Well, we see that doesn't work out oftentimes. So what can we do? Well, you know, Glenn Jacobs is going to run for mayor of Knoxville. And why is this important? Because if I want to organize a rally and I have 100 people, where are my energy? Where is my energy better spent, and where are my efforts better going to be realized? Are they going to be better realized on the steps of the courthouse or the steps of the White House? Unless I've got a lot of money, nobody's going to pay attention to me. Or if I'm in some uh, downtrodden or distressed group of people, I'm going to have more impact at my courthouse. I can call my city representative today on his cell phone, get him on the phone, because I know him. Uh, My mayor, I can go to where he works because I know where he works, and I can say, I don't like what you're doing. I can't do that for the president of the United States or my local, not my local, but my congressional representative in my district for the United States House of Representatives. I can't do that. I might be able to get in touch with his staff, and maybe, maybe if I have enough political clout or money, he'll want to listen to me. But otherwise, that won't happen. So it's important that we think about local government. Now, one thing I want to talk about is there is one problem with this bottom-up approach. And this is going to become an issue because there's a movie coming out soon about the free state of Jones during the American War between the states, where you had a county essentially secede uh, from Mississippi, 
and create a free state. And you also had this in Alabama. There was uh, Winston County, Alabama, uh, did so. It's up in North Alabama, and the people there were against secession. They were unionists. And so there was actually a push to have a, a separate county in Alabama that was its own country. So this idea is kicked around oftentimes. You know, what, well, why can't we take this even further? Why do we have to have the states? And I mean, if you look at the state, um, many states are larger than the United States was when it was founded in 1776, the population of these states. And then, of course, even during the first census, if you look at the first census of the United States, uh, it only had around eh, a little less than 5 million people in the entire United States. So you've got states that are vastly bigger than that today. So even the states, it's thought, are too big to have effective government. And I, I, can, I buy that argument 100%. So you have this, this position, well, we'll just have county. We'll have government from the bottom up. The problem with that particular position and where you run into a situation where you're going to have legal issues with that, in contrast to where you have legal issues of states seceding, I've already addressed this issue before, how I believe that's perfectly legal in the federal model that we've created. But county seceding is a little different because counties are corporations of the state, meaning they have no sovereignty. They're created by the state. The state creates the counties and the city governments. They have to actually ask permission from the state to incorporate. Whereas the general government doesn't create states. The states create themselves, and therefore, each state is on equal footing with the original 13 states, and so you have a federation of sovereign states. Now, of course, the people of the states really have all the power, so you can make an argument, well, if the people of this particular county want to exercise local self-government, then they should be able to do so independent of the state. Of course, that's a very interesting argument, but you would have to change the nature of the state itself. And so people ask all the time, well, what do you think about that free state of Jones? Like they're going to they're gonna get me on uh, secession because, well, if you don't support that, then you really don't support secession. There's a different, or even you look at West Virginia. West Virginia is an illegal state because the state of Virginia had to give permission for West Virginia to break away from the state. Even in the Constitution, this is, this is the case. It's clearly outlined in the Constitution how this has to work if you want to create, divide a state, in other words. You have to have permission from the state, and West Virginia didn't have it. The state government (laughs) was not the state government that West Virginia said it was. That's what Lincoln said it was. So the creation of West Virginia is even illegal. So you do have some legal hurdles here, but I think talking about this, how do we have the ideal republic? Uh, you know, how do we have the ideal self-government situation? Should the counties have more control? This is Hume's ideal republic, and he actually did that. He gave the counties a tremendous amount of sovereignty. So I think this is something we should talk about. Um, but right now in our current system, it doesn't. We can't do that. So you have to work within the apparatus you have, unless you're going to change it. So the question is, what can we do? Well, Glenn Jacobs has decided that he's going to run for mayor and try to affect his own community. And if you think about government, and I know a lot of people, libertarians and others, don't really care for government at any level, but if you are going to have, 
if you're going to have government disappear, the level you would miss first would be your local government because that does control your water supply, uh, your police force, uh, your fire departments oftentimes, unless they're volunteer, uh, your trash pickup in many places. I mean, so you're going to have those those services that you're going to miss first. Uh, your, your schools are going to shut down if you're going to the, to the public schools. So you're going to miss those things first. And so you do have a, a, a large amount of control over those particular areas. Um, and that's why local government's important. So it's great that run for mayor. What else could you do, though? How else could you change your life in a political community? And sometimes this is going to butt into an issue of, you know, what can we do with the federal government? Because they are problematic. They believe in a unitary state. So you have to start having a backbone, and people in these states have to say no. But let's say you're not interested in being a political activist, going to city council meetings and and having rallies in the courthouse and other things. Honestly, that's not me. I'm not someone who is a political activist in that way. I'm really a historian who likes to talk about current events and philosophical issues. I mean, that's it. So this is my way to impact people, to change, to create ideas, and to change minds about things. So doing things like a podcast or uh, writing, these type of things, this is what I can do. This is my talent. But maybe you are a political activist. Maybe you're good at persuading people and leading people in political movements. Well, focus your energies on the state and local level. And again, people get disillusioned with that because they think, well, I'm just going to get beat because the federal government is going to knock me down. Not always. And this is where groups like the 10th Amendment Center are great because they're pushing that agenda at the state and local level to try to get involved locally. You know, the problem is there's this old leftist slogan, you know, think uh, think globally, act locally. That's not what we should be doing. We should be thinking locally and acting locally. And if we actually did that, if you, if you actually thought locally and acted locally, your entire life could change politically, socially, economically. I mean, it could change. We focus too much of our time on, quote-unquote, national politics, when in reality they're irrelevant. If enough people thought that way, they would become irrelevant because people would just stop paying attention to Washington, D.C., but you have to do some things first. Maybe, maybe your talent is writing. Maybe you can write and try to persuade people. Maybe your talent is education. You can get out and try to educate people. Maybe your talent is as a farmer, and you can be an independent local farmer, and you can help feed your community. Maybe your talent is a businessman or woman, and you can have a vibrant business in your own community employing people. There's a, I just read an article the other day about the guy who started the company uh, Yellowwood. And you might have seen this guy. He's actually from Alabama. And um, he lives in a little town of Alabama called Abbeville, Alabama. And um, he has a multi-million dollar business uh, of providing lumber. I mean, he, he has a lumber company, and this is a worldwide company. And what he has done, it's interesting. He could have lived, he could have moved anywhere. And the guy could have, could have moved anywhere. He could have said, look, I'll keep my company in Abbeville, Alabama, because that's where it started. Uh, 
but he lives in Abbeville, Alabama, and what he's done is taken his money and rebuilt his town. He's made it look like a 1950s town. There's one school in the town, one elementary school, one middle school, one high school. There's only about 2,000 residents. And uh, the town is supposedly a wonderful place to live. There's hardly any crime, uh, you know, there's, because the economy is very good. So maybe your talent is, a, is in business, and you can take your talent and improve your community in some way. The place where you reside, the place where you live, and you lay your head, and your kids go to school, and your family's from, maybe that's what you need to do. And too many people, they don't look at things that way. They're like, ah, yeah, I'm going to make my money, and I'm going to go live somewhere else. Forget about the community. Why? I mean, this is where you live. You should improve it. And so that's something you might be able to do. That might be your talent. You can improve the lives of people, of those around you, yourself, and have a better life. I mean, if we start thinking smaller, life improves. The problem with a lot of people, and they face depression over the current situation in the United States, is they don't think small enough. I mean, what, what people do when they focus on the family or they focus on their community you're just trying to improve what's around you on a daily basis. You're trying to improve yourself. And that's a hard thing to do at times. It's a hard thing to say, I'm just going to focus on me and my family, uh, you know, because we are people particularly who are interested in liberty and, and, and these ideas, they think larger. But you need to think local and act local. And if everyone did that, if everyone started to improve their own life and improve the community around them, I think you would find a lot more happy people. I don't know if it'd be REM's shiny, happy people holding hands, but uh, you would find a lot more happy people. All you got to do is improve your own life and improve your family and then work out from there and use your natural talents for the greatest good. Again, maybe you don't ever have any impact outside of I can go to my city council and I can, and I can talk about things and I can vote better for my city council. I can persuade my friends and family to do better and I can focus my attentions there. That's a great thing. It's a fantastic thing. You're improving the lives of your family by having a better, more efficient, and more responsive city government, if nothing else. One that doesn't pine for federal dollars or federal loans or and you live within your means as a city and things of that nature. You want good government there. It doesn't waste tax dollars. So these are things that can be done. I mean, the title of this podcast is What Can Be Done? Think locally, act locally. As a matter of fact, I think the podcast would be Think Locally, Act Locally. If you can do that and use your talents, whether it's running for mayor, whether it's having an organic farm, whether it's creating a vibrant business in your community, whether it's influencing your local politicians, whether it's doing a podcast like this or writing or education, use your talents to better further independence and self-determination because that is the heart of what everything that we do, that's at the heart of it all. Self-determination and independence. A very hard sell, 
But if you can create a, a, a conducive environment for those things, people do want it if they know what it is and how beneficial it can be for their own lives. A feeling that nobody controls you and nobody owns you. And again, in our modern society, it is a hard thing to do because you're conditioned not to do that. You're conditioned to be dependent. And so the best thing you can do is use your talents to try to create an environment where that's not the case. Whatever those are. And do that actively on a daily basis. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.